0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 117, The Chill Chair. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to listen. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And And have have harmony harmony in the home. So you know I love alliteration. So when it's alliteration with the chunk like chill and chair, you know I love that. Before I get to story time, which I know you love, I'm going to start with a quote. And I love this one by LR. I probably have said it before because this is literally the key to your success. When you can attach your ego, then you can attach at the heart and you can see your child is having a hard time versus giving you a hard time. And she says, LR says, when little people are overwhelmed by big emotions, it's our job to share our calm and not join their chaos. I used to join in the chaos and I was on a roller coaster of emotions because toddlers, preschoolers, K through five, teenagers, they are on a roller coaster of emotion because they don't know how to manage their emotions. So when we add flames to the fire, we get upset when they get upset because we don't like to see them upset. Then we join that roller coaster. But when we're the calm in their storm, then they can go on the roller coaster. We just don't get on the ride with them. And it doesn't make the behavior okay, but it makes the emotion okay. Because kids are actually very present and very conscious with their feelings and they know how to feel their feelings. They sometimes act it out. Sometimes they go inward. They know how to cry really well and it's like good therapy for them where it makes us uncomfortable even though they're doing something that's very normal and natural. They have a vibration going through their body and they're trying to get that vibration out of their body and they don't know what to do. So then they look at us and then they're almost in trouble for having emotions or for crying or for being angry. And then it just adds gas on the flames. How do I know? Because I used to throw the gas on the flames. Now I'm hoping that this podcast, our podcast teaches you how to be the diffuser that again, we want to change the behavior, but we don't want to ever change the emotion. We can actually connect over the emotion. Whatever they're upset about, when you agree with the emotion and relate with that emotion, you build connection with them. They get you. It's much easier to do when they're frustrated about something like homework that has nothing to do with you. You seem like you're frustrated about the homework. Are you frustrated or are you overwhelmed by all the homework? As an example, when they're older, you can give them a choices of two different emotions. When they're younger, just saying something like, you seem like you're feeling overwhelmed. They kind of look at you like, huh? How'd you know? I know how that feels because I felt overwhelmed too. That's very connected, but you have to be able to detach the ego so you can attach at the heart. And I love these ideas from the website called livinglifeasawife.com. She says, what to say to your child instead of calm down? Because I don't know if you've ever been upset, but when someone tells me to calm down when I'm upset, it makes me a little ragey. You know, from inside out, the anger dude with the fire coming out of his head, that's how I feel when someone tells me to calm down. It doesn't really help. It doesn't bring me closer to that person. Like, oh, wow, you're warm and fuzzy. You're like a warm blanket. No, you're a prickly porcupine when you say that to me and I want to kick you in the shins. So she gives some ideas. I see that you're upset, let me help you. How about we sit down for a minute, take a deep breath. I love the one. I'm gonna stay calm to help you stay calm. Another one she mentions, it's frustrating when things don't work out. Let's figure this out together. Now, a lot of times when your kids are in the red zone, it's hard to have these conversations with them. So sometimes you just act as a diffuser to diffuse them and get them to yellow, get them to green. And there's also gradients within yellow and red. Sometimes gradient will be talking And I'll say, oh, I'm between yellow and red right now. I'm feeling kind of orange. I'm kind of coming down I'm coming down. It's almost like a hot air balloon. And they go way, way, way up high to red. And then you can come float down. And just like they have emotions, we do too. And sharing that human emotion with them, whether it's because of something they did or didn't do or something that happens on the road, or if you have too many emails or if you're overwhelmed with housework, whatever it is, you can connect with them. Then they can see you as a human being, have a human experience. And being a human is hard. No matter what age you are, it's hard. So then you can have grace and compassion for yourself that you're doing the best that you can. And you can see that in your kids that they're doing the best that they can. They don't know how to manage their emotions. We have to teach that to them. Just like we teach them about ABCs, how to do their math, science facts, math facts, how to read, how to comprehend a story. It's all just a different skill. How to be organized, how to do laundry, how to balance checkbook. It's all just another skill. So when you think of it that way, you take the emotion and the drama out of it. You're like, oh, my child's having a hard time versus giving me a hard time. Oh, Eureka, I could have had a V8. She also says, can I give you a hug to help you feel better? Now this works for some kids, some kids it doesn't. I have one that it helps, one not so much. Grady's been telling me that when he's in yellow, red... He likes when I use the Pee Wee Herman voice because he has this vibration going through his body and he likes it when I tickle him, but sometimes tickling isn't really like easy to do if I'm driving. So the Pee Wee Herman makes him laugh and I'm pretty good at it. Hello, Grady? Why are you so upset? It's not that big of a deal, is it? Or maybe it is a big deal. <laughs> and he starts laughing and then we get in the green zone and then we have a rational talk. But do not engage and try to reason with them and give consequences when they're in the yellow and red. It adds gas to the fire, makes things worse. So another good one is use an indoor voice. Tell me about why you're upset. Try walking away for a minute. Giving them strategies. The other day, Grady was upset in the car. And I feel like sometimes when we're upset in the car, we feel almost trapped. And I started saying, find your zen, find your zen. Just like men, find your Zen. I was just trying to be silly and goofy and no big deal and light and fluffy. And I was doing the whole, you know, the Zen the yoga pose. I'm like, find it, Grady, find it. He's like, it's not working, it's not working. I'm like, oh, I can't stand when I do that and it doesn't work. When I try to find my Zen and it's just not there, where to go? I'm looking for it like it's high and go seek. So the reason why I call this the chill chair is because I did another podcast called why we don't use timeouts anymore. Timeouts don't work. And the reason why timeouts don't work is because what we're doing is we're sending the child to another location and telling them to calm down, chill out, do things that they don't know how to do already. So like I always use example, Grady's in fifth grade. It's like me giving him the chemistry book, a ninth grade chemistry book and say, go figure this out. Go read the chemistry book and then come back and tell me what you read. He'd be like, okay. He'll go to his room, look at the book and be like, I don't know then he'll come out and be in more trouble because he doesn't understand chemistry. He's never been taught how to read chemistry and how to understand chemistry because there's building blocks that lead up to chemistry. So that would be silly. And you can see it in that example. Well, we kind of do the same thing when we send our kids to timeout. I did it for years. It didn't work. Actually made it worse because there's so much guilt and shame around tricky emotions. Then they think that something's gone wrong. Then you might have one child who gets super compliant. And then you might have another one who gets super strong-willed and they're trying to hold that beach ball underneath water and they can't. So then that repression of that emotion because they have to be happy all the time, that makes their behavior and their emotions just so out of control and so touchy Tina, like walking on eggshells. How do I know? Because I did that the first five years. I had one of each. I had one that was super explosive and then one was super compliant because they did not want to ever feel a tricky emotion That is creepy and weird when you think about it I was trying to raise like stepford children. It doesn't work if it's working for you keep doing it If it's not then just think about maybe doing something else because what I was doing was sending them to their room sending them to the timeout rug sending them to the corner Whatever it was for us. We had a timeout rug or go to your room now go to your room If it's their choice, that's a little bit softer. Do you need help calming down or do you want to go to your room to calm down? See, that's very—that's a lot different. It's not like go to your room because you're in trouble. Like I'm here if you need me, but you might need some alone time. Because I know sometimes when I'm upset, it's hard for me to engage with other people. So going to my room or going to outside, that really helps me. So when you give them that choice, it's kind of like opting in versus go to your room and you're in trouble because you're having tricky emotion. It's more like, oh, you're having a tricky emotion. I know what that's like. Sometimes it helps when other people help me and it helps to get off. I just vent and get it off my chest. And sometimes it helps when I take a walk outside and I go get the mail. I get some fresh air. I go hide in the bathroom. I go to my room. You see how that's different? So the reason why timeouts don't work is because we're sending them away, you're in trouble, go figure it out, calm down. They don't know how to, then they feel like they're in trouble and they have guilt and shame and then they associate tricky emotions with guilt and shame. We wanna remove guilt and shame from tricky emotions because what happens is they grow up and they think tricky emotions are bad, something's gone wrong, I need to be happy all the time and then when they're not, they try to buffer away from those tricky emotions. They either shop their feelings away, drink their feelings away, Facebook their feelings away, sleep their feelings away, eat their feelings away. There's lots of different ways to buffer our emotions, but if we can normalize that for them as much as possible for the 940 Saturdays that they're in our house, then when they're 25, 35, 45, it will feel so normal to know how to feel their feelings. Because kids already know how to feel their feelings. That's the coolest part. If you ever been with a toddler, it's like a roller coaster of emotions because they know how to feel the emotion, express it, and then they're over it. There's like no residual. I remember when my kids were toddlers, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship. Like it's hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold. And what was happening is they knew how to feel their emotions. They got the vibration out of their body. They're like, let's go, let's go play soccer. And I'm like, whoa, I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship. What's going on? How do you switch gears so fast? So when Grady was in his preschool class, and Grady as a toddler was super chill. He was one of those kids that when he got upset, he got super hot. He would like punch things, throw things, like see red, his face would turn bright red. And Lily was more of my cold kid where she was more like everything was, you know, she's more of like a crier. Morning, noon, and night, it was more of nobody loves me, some pouting, whiny, where I had both. I had one who was super cold and it was like feeling sorry for herself. And then I had one who's super hot, like would punch, hit, kick throw whatever it took to get that anger or that aggression. So one was super sad a lot and one was super angry all the time. It was a lot of fun, let me tell you. And I was following whatever emotions they did so you can imagine the roller coaster that I was on. I was not knowing how to diffuse. My ego was so triggered because I thought that something had gone wrong. I thought kids should be happy all the time. That meant I was a good mom if they were happy. And when they weren't, when they were mad or sad, then obviously I'm failing as a parent, which is my biggest fear. And then I'd make it mean something about me and then I would react from that place. Lots of fun, let me tell you. Not so much, that was called sarcasm. So when he went to school... I was getting all these reports from his teacher that he was crying all day long. And I'm like, bro, you don't understand. Like, if you're talking about my daughter, I would get that. But like, if you tell me he's throwing chairs or he's punching kids, that's my boy. Like, that's how you're describing great. She's like, as soon as he gets in the classroom, it's not crying for mommy or daddy. It's crying and crying and crying and crying. Like, I give him the blue crayon and he wanted the red. And it's just, she's like, I think there's something wrong with him. She told me that. She's like, I think you need to take him to the doctor. There's something wrong with him. And I felt like the parent who was like in denial, like I... I thought that she thought I was in denial. Like I saw my child in rose-colored glasses and I kept saying like, I don't think you understand. Like he's pretty chill. And when he gets a tricky emotion, it's always anger. He's not a sad kid. I said, if you were talking about my daughter and you said that, she was crying a lot and she was sad a lot, then that would make more sense. But this isn't computing with me. And she's like, well, I think you need to take him to the doctor, there's something wrong with him. Because in all my years, I've never seen anything like it. I was like, what? I'm literally crying behind my sunglasses. I know exactly where I was standing. She brought me outside to like have the talk with me. And I was crying behind my sunglasses going, oh my gosh, this is so awful. She thinks I'm lying about my son. She thinks I'm in denial. And I get that. But like, if you were to tell me, if a teacher were to tell me about Lily, that she was throwing things and punching walls or punching kids, I'd be like, no, that's not her default emotion. So it was like flip-flop. And I didn't know how to get that across. I'm like, I promise I'm not looking at my child with rose-colored glasses because I'm the opposite. Like if something goes wrong, I'm like, what'd they do? What'd she do? What'd he do? I get him, I get him. So she's telling me all this and I am just so perplexed. I remember his birthday was on October 10th. She said that he cried his entire birthday. And for some reason that day was like the epitome of just like, I can't do this anymore. Like something's got to give because number one, this isn't like him. His teacher I loved. He had such nice friends in his class. It was not a lot of kids, but I just couldn't figure it out. I remember crying to my sister, Molly. She's like, yeah, that doesn't sound like Grady at all. And she's, we're just like going back and forth. She's like, you know what? I dropped him off one day. And she goes, the classroom's a little bit smaller. And like when you first walk in, there's just a lot going on. And there's like a lot of kids like waiting at the door because everybody wanted to play with Grady. And the teachers are all, hello, Grady, you know, welcoming. And she goes, "It's, I think it's kind of like he's overstimulated when he walks in and he doesn't know how to calm down once he does. She goes, what if you could bring him like in the side door And like let him warm up to the group and like kind of enter at his own pace, so to speak. If the drop-off window is between 8 and 8.15, maybe get there like 8.02. So he's one of the first kids and he can kind of be the welcoming party. Because both of my kids are a little bit more on the introverted side. So I was like, you know what? That might make sense because both my kids say they don't want birthday parties and have said this their entire lives because they don't want eyeballs on them. Both of them are terrified of running late, and they say it's because too many eyeballs are on them. They're not worried about getting in trouble. It's when you walk in and you're quote-unquote late, everyone turns, and then you have all these eyeballs on them. And same reason why they don't want a birthday party is because, you know, 20 kids, that's 40 sets of eyes, plus all the grown-ups that are there singing happy birthday or like, hey, how old are you now? They said it's too much pressure for them. They've told me that since, but when they're two, I didn't know this. And I was like, you know what? That might be a good idea. So this room had two entrances. It had the main entrance, and then it also had an entrance attached to the bathroom. You had to be potty trained to be in this class. So what we did is we went in the bathroom and then we went potty. And then we came in the classroom on the side door right at the beginning of the opening window. And then he had a little area called the chill chair. He wasn't in trouble. It wasn't guilt and shame. It was in the reading center. He hung up his backpack. He went and sat at the chill chair, we called it. He read some books, kind of warmed up, kind of like assessed the situation. The teachers would say, good morning but not freak out good morning. He would sit in the chair and I was like, I love you, have a happy day, be kind to everyone, shine God's light. You get up and join the class when you're ready. Now, is he gonna stay there till 1 p.m.? No, but is he gonna stay there for 10 minutes? He might, maybe five minutes, maybe 15 minutes, but I'm dropping him off at eight. So he has till 8.15, 8.30 before they start the class. So I'm like, let me just try this. This was all Molly's idea. And I am telling you on a stack of Bibles, the teacher was like, I have a different child in my classroom. He started in August. So his birthday was on October 10th. So this is something we were doing with half of August, all of September, and then the first 10 days in October. And it was like when she told me he was crying while they were all singing him happy birthday and his whole birthday he cried, it was like guttural to me. Because I'm like, oh my gosh, he's miserable. I'm failing as a parent. I didn't know anything about conscious parenting. But when Molly said to me, he's overwhelmed when he walks in and it's too many eyeballs or too much stimuli because the room is a little bit smaller. There's lots of people on the welcoming committee. At the time, I didn't know about buffer time and like running early to places. I was always like showing up. You know, if we had to be there between 8 and 8.15 and and the door's locked at 8.17, I was getting there at 8.16 this was all happening for me to kind of like get curious about like, what is going on? Because this is not Grady. This is not his personality. This is not who he is in his default setting when he gets a tricky emotion. So the teacher was telling me over and over and over, like he's a different child because he had five minutes to warm up and kind of get his feet wet. So it gave Grady a chance to kind of like enter the room on his terms versus walking in and being overstimulated by everything that was on the walls and all the things that he had to do and unpack and all the hellos and the excited, hi, and and then all the kids running up to him and be my friend and come play over here. And it was just too much for him at two years old. It was too much for his nervous system, so to speak. So we go in the back door, he hangs out in the chill chair, and then he enters on his own terms. And The first day, he was probably in the chair five, six minutes. Again, not in trouble, no time out, just read a book. And then he was kind of like, you'd see him, I'd watch him through the window. He kind of side eye the class as he's pretending to read. And he kind of side eye the class, like, is this safe? Can I go out? Is this okay? And then he kind of like gradually, like just sit on the floor. It was open center time. So he could go wherever he wanted. So he'd hang up his backpack, sit on the chair, read his book, but he wasn't really reading the Clifford books. The book was almost like a security blanket. He's side-eyeing the class. He's like, okay. First day, it might've been five or 10 minutes. Next day, it was five minutes. After a couple of days, it's five minutes. Then he would just walk in and boom. So it was almost like if you've ever breastfed and you wean them off the breasts, it's the same thing when you're weaning them onto anything that's new. You wanna do it in small steps, not all at once but I was too close to it and I was too unconscious and I was too worried that he was lonely and sad all day and my heart was broken and I was too emotionally attached and filled with so much drama that I'm failing. I need to take him to the doctor. There's something neurologically wrong with him. I tell my sister about it. She's detached her ego. She loves Grady like her own, but from like a grandparent's point of view. And she's like, I've dropped him off before. It's kind of a lot when he walks in. The room's small, lots of eyeballs, lots of highs. I'm like, you know what, that's true. And it was immediate. So this is just something to put in your toolbox. If you have a child who's more introverted or if they want to create a chill chair at their house that they get to create with stuffed animals, it's not go to the chill chair, you're in trouble. It's like, do you want to go to the chill chair to calm down or do you want me to help you calm down? Either way, no wrong answer. I'm here, I got you, boo. I got your back. We're in this together. Emotions are tricky, whatever age you are. And I know it's hard. Because so many parents tell me all the time, Kelly, it's so hard to stay calm when I'm so upset and I'm seeing red. And I say, I know, I know. Imagine that if you didn't have any strategies or imagine that if you thought you were gonna get in trouble because you were having tricky emotions. So the guilt and shame on top of the tricky emotion, it's like double whammy. And that's why some kids really have a hard time, especially the ones who are empaths, who feel the environment, who are highly, highly sensitive. They pick up on all that energy. They pick up on the fact that they're going to be in trouble if they have a tricky emotion. So they're walking on eggshells and they're walking that tightrope because they know that they can't have any other feeling other than tricky. And then when the emotions around them, whether it's in a room or they're picking up something from you or the environment's cluttered or there's fighting between you and your spouse, whatever it is, or there's tension in the air, they pick up on all of that. And then they have to push it down even more because they don't want to get in trouble because they're people pleasers too. And that's why you have the highly sensitive kids who are walking on eggshells and like they're going to burst at any moment. How do I know? Because that was the first five years of my parenting was making my kids be happy so I could feel like a good mom. And when you let go of that, when you let go of that control, the more control you have because you're accepting the as-is of all the emotions. You're like, oh, I'm just the diffuser instead of being the inflamer. And then you can have grace and compassion for yourself because you know emotions are tricky. Then you can give that same grace and compassion to your kids. And when you have that empathy between the two of you and you have compassion, that builds connection And when you have connection, you have cooperation. I love you guys. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting boot camp, where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.